Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week, my mom is back in the studio with me to continue talking about my journey after getting the Mitrofenoff. For those of you who are new to the show, go back to episode one for a quick overall of my journey and then listen to episodes two and 12 through 20 to get more in-depth discussions. For those of you who have already heard those, we're going to give a quick recap as a refresher of where we left off. So let's jump right in. Should we just start with a quick recap? We The plane landed. Yeah, I think we start with when, when the plane landed, because that was just, so I, I was such a joy to come home, and I was so excited to get out of that hospital and out of that situation and just bring you home. And that feeling of relief and happiness just absolutely dissipated while we were still on the plane. So... We'll start there. Emotional lip flash going on there. It was. It's a big what hour and a half flight <laughs> of joy. It, yeah. It. I. We landed and you turn your phone back on and your little voice messages are all loading and there was one from the pediatrician. So you know I popped the phone on and she you know in her perky little voice said that you know she had been unable to find us a urologist in town and apparently didn't look anywhere else. That, that everyone she had checked with said you were too complicated and then also that she was leaving on vacation for I think it was like two weeks and she had lined up an office visit like three days later or maybe even four days later I can't remember with the on-call pediatrician who we had never met and <laughs> and there you go so that was where we landed and then it was you know get in the get in the car and come home <laughs> Yay! Yay. <laughs> You're home with no help. No help. No help whatsoever. And, th- and that being said, you know, visiting nurses had already delivered medication here, and they were here within hours of, of you being here. They were here and, you know, showed me how to do the medication because they had not showed me that in the hospital. So we had lots to learn. Yeah. So, and they were wonderful. They were absolutely wonderful. So... Yeah, they they came almost every day, didn't they? They came every day. Yeah, they came every day. You were on medication. There was one every 12 hours, and then there was one every eight hours, and they couldn't be next to each other, so they were spaced out however that works. So there were like five shots all spaced out, and there was something that wasn't supposed to be too much in your bloodstream and so there was this blood test and they that's what they came and checked every day to make sure that you weren't getting overloaded of something yeah it's all a blur it's absolute blur there was like no, except for no the, sleep except for the part where it's just terrifying trying to plunge that medicine into the system but not go too fast yes yes they didn't want me to just I, it wasn't just like oh let's just give her a shot you know there's the little saline which is just a nice little plunge you fix your you know, I had your medication completely separated in the refrigerator, so I didn't give you the 12-hour one accidentally on the eight-hour schedule. Anyway, yeah, I was supposed to plunge it over 20 minutes, 
So it's this tiny little syringe, and you just have to, it's like, okay, so it's not like a quick plunge every five minutes. I was really trying to do, I was trying to do it right. I was trying so hard to do it right. <laughs> and, and just to sit there and chat with you for 20 minutes, five times a day, while we're just laying there waiting for me not to have some sort of thumb spasm and kill you with a solid blow of whatever that would have done to you. I didn't even ask what would have happened if I had had a thumb spasm. I just did it right. Didn't even want to know. I didn't want to know. We're not going to talk about it. It's not going to happen. Nope. I'm just going to sit here and agonize over it. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. And then also that means, you know, just because we were home didn't, I couldn't go back to work. Right. Because we're plunging medicine into you constantly. Right. And you were just this little waif in the bed that didn't do had anything. Zero energy and yeah, zero life. Yeah, I remember lots of uh, blankets out in the back lawn with a book. Yes. Yeah. That was a that big, was my fun for the that summer. That was a big adventure. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the big adventure would have been to go to the backyard because a lot of time was just spent in here, in your bedroom, in bed, or on the couch in the living room. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of anything else nothing really energetic until you know the medication I that probably only lasted like a few weeks I think that was two weeks yeah it was about and then of course the VNA came to take out the picline yes they were very Can't. patient with you with that too because yeah. that was an ordeal yeah pulling I don't that, remember that that's pretty yeah. blocked from my mind <laughs> yeah pulling that tube out was you know as much I don't want to say as much fun as putting it in, but it was, you weren't, it's right where you can see it, you know, it's right there next to your heart. And so it was hard to get you to look away and not agonize over it. Mm. They were very patient. They were very sweet. And then they were gone. And then we were by ourselves. Then we were by ourselves, truly by ourselves. So that, that was, it was interesting. Or scary. And scary. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, on top of that, we're cathing. Yes. And measuring everything. Yes, we're still measuring everything. So we had a little chart in there, and you would pee in the hat, and we would measure that, and then you would cath, and we would measure that. And the idea was to see what the residual was, what you weren't able to naturally express. So... It it was lots of charts and lots of measuring cups in the bathroom and trying to keep everything sterile and... You really could not go to work. (laughs) No, no, it was, it was pretty funny. It was, it was just wasn't what I had had expected. (laughs) It wasn't what either of us had expected. You were going to have surgery. You were going to go back to school in September. Everything was going to be hunky-dory fine. And that's Um, definitely not what happened. That's definitely not what happened. So, Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh... We did wind up seeing all of the pediatricians at that office. Yes, I think there were four total pediatricians at that office. And, you know, the, the first time, you know, I don't know how it is post-pandemic, but you go into a, a typical pediatrician's office and they've got the one side of the waiting room for sick kids and the one side of the room for the healthy kids. Like there's this invisible wall that's not going to have the germs going back and forth. So, you know, literally that three day after us coming back with that is I didn't want to take you in their office you know you were just so I just can't even tell you how pale and 
just frail you looked. Oh, my immune system is already was already so compromised. Putting me in a room with a bunch of other sick kids yeah. probably wasn't the smartest idea. Yeah. So I, I went into the front desk and said, you know, come and get us. We're in the car. And then we went in that way. And and that first visit was really, it was the on-call pediatrician. And he was very, very nice. But it was, a, you know, what's a metrophin off? And let me see what it looks like. And it was more about him just checking everything out and oh isn't this cool and then and then we got to leave and I wasn't quite sure really what the point of that was since he was the on-call pediatrician we're probably never going to see him again why did I even need to go in in the first place right so that was kind of odd and then unfortunately you started getting sick and um, pretty quickly there pretty quickly we started cycling for six months you cycled I'm going to say urinary tract infections, but they went straight to your kidney. So it was really kidney infections. Yeah. And you started cycling. So you would be healthy for one week and then you would start feeling like crap and we would get drugs and then you would feel like crap the following week because your little system would be all messed up from the medication and then you'd have a good week. And then we'd start again. Then we'd be not feeling good and we'd start the medication. And then you have another week where it's like, yeah, I don't have a kidney infection, but my bowels are totally messed up and stomach aches and just everything that comes along with nasty antibiotics. And then you'd have a good week. And And then take again. And then then take again. And it was absolutely just, it was just a cycle. So it's like, you know, every, every... I'm calling the pediatrician's office and it's like, okay, she's, we're at, we're at 101, we're at 102, you know, but but they, because they're not accustomed to dealing with this sort of situation, it was, well, you need to pee in the cup and we need to, we need to do the sample and see what it grows. And it's like, okay, well, by that time she's dead. Okay. Because (laughs) we're already up there. We're already past the point. Yeah. And and it was literally within hours that you would be up to 104. So, and I could see it coming. I could see it coming before you even got a fever. You had this look about you and it'd be like, oh, she's going down. And so I could call then, but it, it was just, we had to figure a way to get around them. And I remember one time it was the second time that you saw this particular pediatrician from this office on call and we met her in the emergency room because again they weren't going to give you any drugs without seeing you so we're in the emergency room and she meets us there and it again this is the second time you saw her and you're laying in the bed looking like your little pale wan self and she stops on her way out the door and says what's a metrophenoff and so I explained what it was in my most patient voice, and, and she left. And you sat up in that bed, probably with your little 104 fever, and said, we are never seeing her again. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, you're, you're right. <laughs> that should have been a question that she asked the first time she saw you, if she yeah. didn't know. I, she just didn't read your chart, didn't look, didn't, didn't care. Yeah. So... So that was the office that we were kind of stuck in. We were we were stuck in that situation for a little while. And I want to quick just go back and point out that we were at the emergency room because we don't have any, or at the time, we didn't have any 24-hour pharmacies. So if I spiked uh, an, an infection and needed medication, 
and it was after hours, we had to go to the emergency room because that is the only 24-hour pharmacy that we had. That was the only place I could get get medication at the time. And, you know, I I should say, you know, it was during this, this time when I realized that, you know, we really needed help. And since your doctor, your pediatrician's <laughs> office didn't find us anything. I ended up calling back up to Seattle and saying, we, we need help. Oh, and that's, we totally skipped over too, that we just never saw her again. Yeah, I don't remember ever seeing your pediatrician again. I don't know what happened to her. <laughs> we got that phone call, and we saw all the other pediatricians in the office, and she just never reappeared. Yeah, I don't know if she, like, moved, or she, I, she was young. Never I, came back from vacation. Never came back from vacation. I have no idea what happened to her, but we saw the other three pediatricians there, for obviously for infections and, and stuff. And and then you called and Seattle. I, and I called Seattle <laughs> During while we were still dealing with them because we dealt with this pediatrician's office while we had outside help because otherwise you probably wouldn't be here. Um, but I, I called Seattle and said, we need help. And they set us up with a nephrologist in San Francisco and they took care of everything. Thank they goodness. were fabulous. <laughs> Ab- yes, thank goodness. So we had to drive it, which is again, two hours and got you established with them but then it was a 24-hour hotline that I could call and say she's got 104 fever, and they would call in a prescription, and then say, you know, you need to go through your pediatrician's office, blah blah blah. But here's the drugs. Right. And so, you know, three days later, after you know, then the pediatrician's office would call and say, oh, looks like she has an infection. We need to start some antibiotics. And I'd be like, oh, okay, great. She's already been on for three days, but thank you for letting me know. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were just so, it was com- it was comical because I had it handled. Right. It wasn't comical when I didn't have it handled. But right. But as soon as we got set up with the... the San Francisco. The then real was... doctors in, in San Francisco, it was much better. Yeah. It was much better. And we also had a local pharmacist who actually just lives right around the corner. And once I got, uh, let her know what was happening with you, I had her home phone number. And so all of a sudden, I did have a 24-hour And she came in handy. She really did. I mean, on Thanksgiving, you tanked. Well, I tanked on every holiday. You did. You, you, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Halloween, yes. You missed that big Halloween party. You You were so excited. And I looked at the calendar and went... Halloween, she's going to be tanking. <laughs> I don't know how to tell her. I bought you this stupid costume. I knew it was a waste of money. I knew you weren't going to wear it. And you were so excited. And you were on the couch on Halloween. Yes. Yeah. But on Thanksgiving, you know, I had to call Chris at home and say, you know, they're, they've faxed or however they did it back then. Yeah. You know, a prescription to your, pharma- to your pharmacy. It's there waiting for you. And... You know, she literally said, my hands are in the turkey right now. Give me an hour. I'll get down there. And, and she delivered it to the house. So and, and those, were, those were the little extras that we had that absolutely saved us during this time. Yeah. Well, just knowing people and having them really go above and beyond, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Be human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, your, your Aunt Jean worked for a cardiologist's office, too. So... Every time you did have to pee in the cup, and we did it, we CC'd her office. Yeah, the cardiologist. We CC'd this random adult cardiologist um, on all of your lab tests so that I could see them, so that we had them. And just so 
So we knew what was going on. Yeah. Because otherwise... You were just kind of out of the loop. We were out of the loop. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have the confidence that anybody was communicating anything with Dr. Mitchell's office in Seattle. Right. So I wanted to have everything so that when we did go in front of him, I could say, hey, this is what we had, and these were the bugs, and this is what's going on. And his face would just be like, what the Where the hell are you people <laughs> You know, because California sounds like, you know, we've, we should have medical care here, but... Clearly, we showed up sometimes, and he just looked at us with the most confused look on his face, like we lived on an island. Out so, in the boonies. Out in the boonies, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, so you cycled. It was for about six months that you cycled these. So, again, it was very hard for you to go to school. It was hard for yeah. me to go to work. We did both. We managed. We, did, we managed. We did both. You actually, I put you in dance. And for a while, you were convinced that it was dance that was causing the infections because you, really? would, you would only go to dance. You wanted to quit dance, actually. Our, our dance, our dance major here wanted to quit dance because you would be feeling good for that one week and you would do all the dance classes and then you would tank. So in your little brain, you connected that to the dance class. Oh, I know. I don't remember that. Yeah, I remember trying to explain to you. It's like, you know, honey, that's not it. Just go ahead and go. It's okay. <laughs> So, and, oh, and they were very sweet. They just Aww. let you sit out and do what you could. A lot of times you were just watching the dance classes. Yeah. So, but you were there. That's so funny. Yeah. Kids' brains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you did that for a good six months. So that was, that, was, that was fun. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they just kind of cleared up. And when you went in for your one-year checkup to Dr. Mitchell, we were able to say... You hadn't had any infections in six months, so that was pretty fabulous. Yeah. And you were having just mild leaking on physical activity and nothing that a light day wouldn't cover, but right. a little little minor. And then you were having a tiny bit of reflux up into the one kidney. So he did some deflux injections, and that was it. That's, yeah. That was your one-year checkup was just a little, a little injection here and there, and um, good to go. Good to go, yeah. But you were, you were battling also during that first six months, fatigue, severe, severe fatigue. And even the six months after that, you had severe fatigue, probably just from all the weight loss and the endless infections, obviously, just knock you for a loop. But then you also started throwing up. I think that's what we skipped. You randomly started throwing up and it was every morning. First thing you would throw up. If you ate anything, you would throw up. And that was something that I was able to ask the San Francisco doctors about when we were up there one time. And they they thought it was most likely due to SMA. And it was one of the little, as you like to call it, baby doctors. It was a baby which doctor. Is a, the student doctors. <laughs> yeah, and she had just finished a round in... Oh, eating disorders. And so this was common in, in a rapid weight loss they would lose this little fat pad. And I can give the definition here because I looked it up. But SMA is superior mesenteric artery syndrome. Um, sorry if I butchered that word entirely. <laughs> but it is a digestive condition that occurs when the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine, is compressed between two arteries. And this compression causes partial or complete blockage. So symptoms can vary based on severity, but can be pretty debilitating. 
Symptoms can include abdominal pain, fullness, nausea, vomiting, and or weight loss. And SMAS is typically due to loss of that mesenteric fat pad. So it's the fatty tissue that surrounds that artery. And the most common cause is significant weight loss. So after having a huge surgery and six months of infection, it made sense. Yeah, and this was during the infection. You lost a ton of weight during that. So I mean, I was able to pick you up and carry you around and you were, what, in fifth fifth grade, yeah. Yeah. So that's a little scary. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, you were you were very delicate. So what they suggested, and, and you know, she just mentioned that, and he's like, "Well, let's try this." So you weren't. I don't think you were officially diagnosed with that. Mm-hmm. They just they said if this works, and this is probably what it is. We just need to get some weight on her. So I was never supposed to let your stomach get empty. You all of a sudden went on this like three hour feeding schedule again. So. In the middle of the night, I had to get up and feed you something. So I would wake you up, and I have to wake myself up. So I would feed you, you know, when you went to bed, I would feed you before I went to bed. We would wake up, and it was either at 1 or 1.30, I can't remember. But I would wake you up, and the only thing, the you know, you're going to eat lying down, and I'm going to be able to persuade you to eat is going to be ice cream. And usually it was cookie dough ice cream so you know it was one bite for you and it was one bite for me because I kind of felt sorry for myself (laughs) (laughs) so it was one bite for you one bite for me one bite for you one bite for me and then I would get up at 3 30 or 4 to get ready to go to work I would feed you again so I must have fed you at one and then I would feed you at like 4 30 before I left and then I would try to get back before 8 where we I'd feed you again so we were on this little, and then I would take you to school. So, and that's also where we started going to that one bakery yes. before school every day because you it got was to eat whatever you wanted. I didn't care. Chocolate any type croissant, of fat stuff to put anything cream yeah. on your hot chocolate. It. I did not care. I just wanted you to gain weight, so you'd stop throwing up. <laughs> I wanted that too. Yes. <laughs> Just wanted, yeah, you just to feel better. So it was like, whatever, whatever. Yeah, and I just want to throw in there because this bakery was so fantastic. And I really wanted a chocolate croissant. And they didn't have chocolate croissants. They just had croissants. So we would bring in chocolate from home and have them slice open the croissants and put chocolate in it and melt it for me. Yeah. And then he started ordering chocolate so that he could make chocolate croissants. Yes, but he was horrified when he saw what I was asking the people to do because it was it was was American crap chocolate apparently that I was using. This was a German bakery, and so he he had chocolate back there because he made chocolate croissants on the weekends. He just didn't sell enough of them during the week because apparently children aren't normally coming in during the week at 7.30 in the morning (laughs) before school every day. So, yeah, I would ask their front desk, or their front desk, I would ask their reception... Customer service person. Yeah, there you go, the little person there, (laughs) to slit the the croissant open, and then we would unwrap just like a little tiny Hershey's bar, and we would stick that in there and have them melt it in the microwave. And he came out one time, he was just horrible horrified so he started slitting them open and putting the nice the nice nice yummy chocolate in there for you and he did that every single time we went in there sweet sweet man he was very sweet man (laughs) very sweet man yes again just finding those local people who just yes 
Yeah. Very kind. Yes. Yeah. So I guess that leads us to where all the skin problems come into this. That was, I believe, (laughs) a full year after all of a sudden. So, I mean, you had that deflux injection and you were good to go. And you were in school. We were still dealing with a lot of fatigue at school. So you were really kind of only going half days and everything else. But we have a lot of poison oak in California. And that spring, so this is like a year and a half after your big surgery, but your immune system is totally down. Totally down. Yeah. Still. I mean, you're still really shot. Really? And you got poison oak. And then... I blew up like a balloon. You blew up like a balloon. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, you know, we're dealing with just allergic reactions to the poison oak, allergic reactions to the medication they're treating the poison oak with. We're dabbing stuff topically on you. You're taking stuff orally. We ended up at this point, you don't have the pediatrician's office anymore. I took you to the doctors on duty because you must have ended up with it on the weekend or in the evening that obviously I needed something right away. And we ended up at doctors on duty, which is a little kind of like an urgent care situation. It's a franchise I guess or something but it's it's just a little urgent care and the doctor in there said you can just bring her here I'll see her and all gave us his hours gave us his hours and so we were just going to this little doctors on duty for quite a while and it was a year and a half of skin issues and at, at one point, it got so bad, they were thinking it was it was staff. They were thinking it might be MRSA. They, I mean, you were just head to toe. You'd get better. You'd get poison oak. We would start all over again. I just, I swear, I wanted to burn all the poison oak in California. I was so frustrated because it was, we would just get a handle on it, and you would end up with poison oak again, and then we'd just be in this huge cycle. And literally, it went on for, for a year and a half. And at one point, when they were trying to, you know, get a handle on the staff situation, I had to spray you down with that orange stuff. What's that orange stuff called? The iodine or... Iodine something. It's providone iodine. So So that's the stuff when you're at the doctor's office and they're going to stick you with a needle or anything. Um, It's that like orange stuff that they put on you to clean the area first. Well, we had it in a spray bottle. Yes. And you would stand (laughs) in the shower in all your glory there with your arms out. And I would pretend we were doing a spray tan because this is horrible. I mean, this is, you're, I think, sixth or seventh grade. This is like such a hard time with just how you feel about yourself anyway and here you just are feeling like a leper and so I pretend it was a spray tan and we would just orange coat the entire shower and you and turn around and do the other side and then you had to stand there and it was cold yeah it was cold and you had to stand there it's not like I was going to heat it I don't even know if you can but you'd have to stand there for like a minute or two minutes or I don't know it seemed like like always seemed like a long time and then we would spray you down and the shower shower down down. (laughs) everything down get rid of all the orange and we had Um, to do that twice a day I think we had to do that twice a day for a while and it's one of those things where you know you have to eyes closed when you're spraying the face Mm -hmm. and And I was trying to make you laugh so that wasn't you know helpful necessarily (laughs) (laughs) I was 
I was just trying to make you not feel horrible. Yeah. So that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> a real bonding experience. Yeah. So, th- so that, that went on for a, a year and a half. But other than that, you you know, the bladder infections weren't so bad. We went through. <laughs> we went through. We tried to. Uh, how I was trying to find. I was actively really trying to find you a doctor. I was looking at not just pediatricians at this point. I'm looking at adult doctors. I'm looking at anybody who might want to excited about you we had a pediatrician house call doctor for a while oh, I want to yeah. say we only had him for like a, a month um, when you were pretty you were, we were just still dealing with infections at that point I mean I was asking everybody for referrals yeah and unfortunately a lot of good doctors they're full they can't take on anybody else so I was getting a lot of that that was mostly the GPs the adult doctors do you want to go back but, to the, the the home visit guy Oh, I really liked him. I wanted I wanted him to do well. He was just... He was very sweet. I was, remember that. He was very sweet, and, and your aunt and I always really wanted him to do well. And unfortunately, we both worked in doctor's offices and in labs, and so kind of knew basic sanitary things that should be being done, and he he wasn't doing, doing it. That. He, would, he would set up his little lab in the bathroom, and I would watch him test the urine and it, it, it just I really wanted to like him I, w- I wanted him to do well so we had him for about a month <laughs> we had him for about a month and then thank god we found you know your your My current, current, doctor. current doctor who's not ever allowed to retire yeah I don't and think she knows that I think I need to tell her she's not allowed to retire yeah and yeah your, your aunt Jean and I went in to quote unquote interview her but really we'd been turned down so many times that we felt like she was interviewing us and you know she was telling us all about herself and and you know looking at your case and and what she might want to try for your skin stuff and and you know at the end of the appointment she's you know she's like would it can I be your doctor yeah can I be your doctor would it be all right if I was her doctor and I Jean and I were just floored because yes (laughs) (laughs) yes a you have an idea of what to do about this whole skin thing and and b I can't you're not running the other direction you're not running the other direction exactly and you seem like really intelligent and tracking (laughs) which was just a whole new thing so and she's still your doctor and she's been absolutely a godsend and she's not allowed to retire no She's brilliant. Yeah, she is brilliant. Yeah. Stepped up on many occasions. Many occasions. Out of state. I mean, she's taken care of you when you've been away at college and all the way across the country. And she's she's a phone call or a Zoom away. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I think that brings us around to just talking about schools and kind of how we handled that because again I was in 6th grade, 7th grade, all these things and yeah, I, how do you do school at the same time, you know, when you're not there. Yeah. <laughs> when you're not there. Yeah. Exactly. It really, you know, it really depends on on the school. You were, you know, for the most part once you hit antibiotics, you were able to go back to school, you know, to you tank and then two days of antibiotics, I could put you back in school, but then we'd have the intestinal distress, so you're gonna miss a couple more days, and then then you then you feel good for a week, and you're there, hey, and, and then we do it again. So, 
And you had, like I said, you were throwing up and you were you were so fatigued. So that, that first year, which was, I think, sixth grade, you were really only there half time. But in sixth grade, at least here, you had one teacher. Yeah. Well, and so, the school I had was very small. Very small and just was willing to work with us. Yes. On what I could handle. Yeah. They were excited when you came in. They didn't care if you were late. They were just excited that you were there. Sent homework home with me so I could do things at home. I mean, they were really great. Yeah. Yeah. And and there was, they they sent things home, which made all yeah. the difference because there were, even if like, you know, she's not feeling good, I'm going to take her home. They would send everything. We could get it back within a couple days, either with or without you. Yeah. So they were very, very accommodating. And I think you stayed up completely on your studies that mm-hmm. year, even though you were only there 50% of the time. You were... You were caught up to date. Yeah. At, Graduated at yeah. with my class and everything. Yeah. It was the next year that we had trouble. It was the next year. It was seventh grade. And, and here, you know, some middle schools go six, seven, eight. Some go seven, eight, nine. There's there's different situations. But this one was a seven, eight, nine. And all of a sudden, you're going to have six, seven teachers. It's it's the, you know, different period and moving to different things. And, and your brother had been there for seventh and eighth grade. And he was going to go on to high school. I was putting him in a different school and you were going to start there and when I was talking to him and you well I was talking to him about you yeah um and this this is what I'm thinking about doing and and he said you I have to stay I have to do ninth grade there those kids are going to eat her alive and it was like oh well I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it you were you were going to be there were two other girls that were going to be going to that school that were sisters um so you were going to know two people but you weren't going to know any of the other people that were there and i I went with john's gut he's like they're they're not going to be nice to her so so he stayed that's why he was there for ninth grade and their ninth grade class had like all of three people in it i think it was really really small and it was not probably the best situation for him but he stayed there to protect your psyche basically and make sure because he he was well liked at that school and he was he was a handsome little devil and so nobody was gonna nobody was gonna mess with anything yeah with him there and no one did and no one did we never had that That could have been different if he wasn't there yes but unfortunately people didn't you missed a lot of school that year you you basically i had it set up so that you would have been going only half days anyway because you didn't have the energy to stay all day but John would go to get the homework and the teacher would be like, oh, she can just catch up later. She can just catch up later. And so he'd come home and it's like, they didn't give me anything. He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. And the thing is, you're not going to catch up later. You, you, right. That doesn't happen. You, we have well, to stay up at the time. Well, yeah. And if you're gone for X amount of time, multiple times, there's only so much you can get caught up on. Yeah. So at the end of that seventh grade and again sending John off to to real high school again because he doesn't have that option either I started looking into homeschooling because you were a now a little bit behind and b I certainly wasn't going to leave you there for another year because we were looking at kind of the same situation with the skin stuff going on and and especially without him there just yeah and without him there so we we looked at homeschooling 
and um, you had friends that were homeschooling, I should say that. So, I mean, I was looking at all different schools, but you had some friends from your old school that were homeschooling that lived very, very close. And it was like, we can share tutors for the stuff that we can't do. We shared math tutor, we shared science tutor, we we shared yeah. language, we um, all kinds of things. And I just want to point out that I am still trying to work full time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> through all of this. That's through all of this. I'm, I'm working supposedly full time. And, you know, your brother came to me and said, well, if she's homeschooling, why can't I? And, you know, I always felt like you were taking all of my attention and all of my time. And we had just a this forced relationship between the two of us. And I always was trying to take John on his own things and make sure that he felt special and that we had on time. And it was like, I, there's... Can't say no to this. I can't say no to this. <laughs> so that's why you both ended up homeschooling. So, and no, I'm not a math whiz or a science whiz <laughs> or anything else. So, you know, God bless your grandfather was a university science, science professor. Pro- yeah. So he took care of the science and he took he took care of all of that. And we had math tutors and yeah. And then I just put you in the community college as well. Same with John, yeah. Yeah, so we, we got by, you both are college graduates, and so there you go. Yeah. It, wor- it worked for us, but it was it was very daunting, and I had a lot of people question my decision on doing that because I was working full-time and already had the medical distractions, and now all of a sudden I'm going to have two well, what were you going to do? Middle age, you know, put me in a school that I'm not going to attend and have me fall behind? Oh, it was you the know? only solution. I mean, well, it, was, it was the only and the right solution. I'm just saying there was lots yeah. of other input and opinions out there floating in the universe <laughs> that I was fielding at the same time. But yeah. you have to, I mean, it's like seeing a doctor. It's like you have to do what's right for your child. Yeah. All of them, not just the sickly one. All of them. you got to make sure the siblings are... Are not feeling left out there and exactly yeah 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 he was in gymnastics and we did all the gymnastics tournaments and I volunteered with all of that kind of yeah. stuff too and and I'm becoming aware why I'm so tired now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah I don't know when you slept <laughs> I, I don't know when I slept either I slept in little bits yeah little bits I still sleep in little bits <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah unfortunately because everything was was on especially with you with the medication it was on a schedule the eating was on a schedule and then you were just sick and feeling like crap and you know you could literally your bed was on the other side of the wall from my bed and you could fingernail tap that wall and I would have been in here yeah so I mean I was just programmed to to just be up and awake and ready to go ready to roll what what, what do crisis you need? are you having in now <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah, so that was a fun two years. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, really, other than the skin stuff, you were relatively healthy, healthy yeah. for all of that time. So, and then once we found um, Dr. Lorenzen, you know, the skin stuff cleared up. I still don't know quite what she did, but the skin stuff cleared up. And really, other than just a tiny bit of deflux injections, when we went and saw Dr. Mitchell, you were pretty good to go. Yeah. So, and you, I, I also want to say it's like a lot of the people that you interview there, they had to pack their catheters to school and they either had to use the nurse's bathroom or, or whatever. You did never had to do that. Right. So we only cathed when you got home from school. 
So you would, because you you were well, peeing naturally. Yeah, I was going to say, so coughing we, wasn't the way that I went to the bathroom. It was just to get out the residual. The re, Yeah, the residual, yeah. So it was... To get the residual out, we would do it just at the end of the day for a while, and then that went to just once a week. So I th- we probably went to every other day, and then it was probably uh, yeah. a taper down. But then it was a, then it was a once a week situation, just to, and then sometimes you didn't even do it once a week. But yeah, so yeah. you didn't have to pack catheters, and you were just using regular bathrooms there. But and you know you had a little bit of leaking here and there, and that's when we do an injection. Yeah. So. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. I hope you enjoyed hearing from my mom again and hearing more of my story. Uh, Please leave me a review and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast at. If you have any more questions for me, please feel free to send them to me. I will be stockpiling them until I have enough for another Ask Me Anything episode. If you want to further support this podcast, please join me on Patreon. I will be announcing some details soon about some of the new tier features. Lastly, if you would like to share your story or know someone who would, I can be contacted through my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com or on social media. Thank you so much for listening.